The dog had been sick for three months when Tom decided to end its life. It was January when they noticed something was wrong. The first time in 14 years that Rocky rejected meat from the table. His portion of roast beef went untouched for 24 hours in his steel bowl before Tom gave up and scraped the woody slab of dry meat and coagulated gravy into the garbage. The dog didn't eat for another three days, so Tom took him to the vet and the vet had a look at his teeth, smelled his breath, palpated his abdomen. He suspected it was kidney failure and took a sample of Rocky's blood and urine to be sure. He phoned Tom at home later that day with the results, something about the proteins in Rocky's blood being ten times what you would expect in a dog. Given Rocky's age and the advancement of the disease, the vet recommended against treatment and predicted that the end would come in weeks. It was clear that Rocky knew what was happening. Tom took the dog's soft, dry muzzle in his palm and looked deeply into his eyes and said, What we'll do, dog, is we'll just wait this one out, eh? We'll just let you do this your way. Tom could wait. But by April, Rocky was still alive. In the mornings when Tom went downstairs, he expected Rocky to be gone, through his flap in the back door, gone to die alone the way a dog should. But every morning he was there, crumpled like an old coat under the kitchen table. Erin wouldn't touch him anymore, said she could feel all his bones rolling under his skin. Tom heard her complaining to Curtis over the phone, saying that Dad was barbaric, and asking how she could convince him to take Rocky to the vet and put him out of his misery. But Tom wasn't going to do that. Rocky was a bush dog, a mountain dog. Wouldn't be right for him to end his days in some clean and clinical place. But the dog wouldn't die. His loyalty got the better of him, Tom was sure, and the poor bastard couldn't leave. It was in the dog's eyes, his plea to be let go. Tom tried to move him along. He'd say things like, Go on, dog. Take yourself off now. We'll get on without you. Or, It's your time, old buddy. Go on and get. But Rocky left the dying too long, and in the end was too weak to muster up the energy for it. So on a Wednesday morning after Aaron left for school, Tom went down into the basement with the key to the gun cupboard in his fist. He unlocked the metal door and stared hard at the big game Remington and at the long rifle that he used for rabbits and raccoons and any other varmint that looked fat enough to eat. And though it was a little on the heavy side, he chose the Remington because it would have been a hell of a thing to have to shoot twice. From a trunk under the stairs, he pulled out a box of soft points and slipped two rounds into his coat pocket. Upstairs, Rocky lay curled up on top of the heating vent in the living room. Unable to look at him, Tom held the rifle close to his body, away from the dog's gaze, and took it out to his Ford, stopping in the kitchen to retrieve a half-empty Mickey of Jack Daniels. He came back in and wrapped up Rocky in a knitted blanket and carried the limp, forty-pound bundle out to his truck and laid him gently in the passenger seat. The hardest part, harder even than what was coming, was Rocky's total lack of interest in what was happening to him. The dog curled himself deeper into the blanket and his eyes closed slowly, but not completely, as if he didn't have the muscle power to keep them shut. Tom drove to the north end of town over the Nachaco and passed the hulking pulp and paper mill. 
It was a sunny morning, and the last surviving islets of gritty snow shone hard and wet on the grassy roadside banks. He soon reached the forest road, a potholed dirt track that wound half a dozen kilometers northeast into the bush before ending in a teardrop-shaped lot. He rolled down his window a few inches and navigated the truck gently over bumps and ditches while Rocky dozed silently next to him. Tom made up a tune in his head and hummed it.